Welcome to the Big Crone Energy Podcast. This is Karina Blackheart, the crone herself, and your host today. We are meeting with Ashura Allen, who is. And Ashura, I'm so glad and honored to have you here with us today to talk about your personal experience in midlife as well as uh, your expertise as a healthcare practitioner. So welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here, Karina, with you. And I'm so excited by all that you are doing in your life professionally right now. I, I wanted to, uh, to put in here, I just got my The Crone Herself mug, and I'm not always like a merch girl, but I saw your gorgeous mug on your website, and it had an owl, and I'm a sucker for owls. And I took it out today when I was picking myself up a chai, and the woman behind the counter went, <gasps> which is what I did when I opened it from the box. <laughs> I was like, <gasps> it's so beautiful. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that it's beautiful. Um, that mug was actually designed by Marisa Lowen of uh, Create the Rules Business Catalyst, mm. um, who mm-hmm. has been a huge hand, uh, like a, 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 I don't even know. Uh, she has taken a huge role in helping me get the crone herself, Big Crone Energy podcast, the emails, the store now, which is called the Crone's Marketplace, which you can access through thecroneherself.com. She's really been um, an amazing, amazing mentor and help and, uh, and really did the design on the website and some of the designs uh, in the shop. So thank you, Marisa. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I love that, you know, I'm starting off with something kind of a superficial thing like a mug, but really the, the work is so deep. But I have to say the way it's being evidenced in a visceral way to the senses, which is often the gateway, is just exquisite. And I love that you found someone that can match the energy for you because it's wonderful. Yeah, I do. I'm just going to keep plugging Marisa for a minute here and, um, the, <laughs> and uh, create the rules catalyst. Marisa literally sat down with me one morning. I had a download about the crone herself. And I had Mm. written in my journal for like 26 pages that morning. Like it just, everything came. Like all of the energy behind it. Everything I was supposed to be doing. And um, I I got online with Marisa and said, I I need to talk to you. And she just let me talk and asked a bunch of questions. And as we were talking, I didn't know. Uh, but she was working on the crone herself. And after about an hour and a half of conversation, she, she said, I'm going to show you my screen. And she showed me, she said, you know, here's your logo, here's your banner, here's your podcast banner, here's your this, here's your that, da-da-da-da-da. And I was blown away, right, because I had had six months of working with terrible web designers, just one crisis and drama after another. And to just have someone sit down with me, understand what I was talking about, be able to hook into the energy of it and make it visual, right? This has always been my problem uh, in marketing my, my brilliance is that I, I have a lot of words, but I don't know how to translate that into visual. And I think Marisa has just done that so beautifully. A fuchsia, magenta colored smoke to me um, or clouds or whatever it is that people see when they look at it. To me, it's, it's energy. It is a manifestation, yeah. right, a visualization 
of the big crone energy that I'm talking about sort of swirling around us and pouring into us and out of us and, um, uh, and that we're in it. We always, always, always have access to that. This is so important that it's not just... Um, it's not just an age thing. Like you don't have to right. be a physical, chronological crone in order to access that energy. We have it when we're little, little kids, believe it or not. Um, and then it gets sublimated. Yeah, okay. So it gets sublimated uh, as we enter our adolescent years and throughout our motherhood years. And then it comes back with a vengeance after so many years of being sublimated. <laughs> but I'm you know, my, my, my goal here, one of my goals here with the crone herself is to help people to access that big crone energy early on so it can serve them in their lives when they are coming into adulthood and, you know, all the way through the remainder of our lives, that it's not something that we lose or that we can't access or that we get confused about. The, uh, the owl... <laughs> <laughs> is we call her we call that owl the owl of discernment. You know, the owl is wise, right? And and it's a symbol of the wise old crone as well. Mm. Um we you know, our culture, all cultures I think have a a thing about the owl being uh, a being, a spiritual being of wisdom. Uh so a mm-hmm. reminder of that on a on a mug or a tote bag or a t-shirt or or what have you is lovely and I'm so glad that you got it. That big crone energy that comes through, you know, it's just pure energy, right? It's unadulterated. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. uh, clear. It is concise. It's precise. And it is not concerned with what are people thinking about me? Mm-hmm. What, how am I supposed to be behaving, appearing, speaking, not speaking, and this is something, this is a freedom that children have, and Mm -hmm. this is a freedom old people have. (laughs) Yes. And and part of it, I think, has to do with hormones, right? When we're Mm -hmm. children, we don't have hormones um, surging through our bodies, you know, different ones every week for our whole life until that stops. So I want to talk with you. I want to ask you specifically as a healthcare practitioner, and you can describe what you do as a healthcare practitioner. I know that you're in, uh, Chinese, a doctor of Chinese medicine. You practice acupuncture. You're a massage therapist, EFT, so many modalities. I know that you're a master in all of the ways that you heal people, that you help people heal themselves. And so I'm wondering what you have to say about the hormonal shifts that happen, um, not so much in, in what we think of as the majority of our life, while people who have uteruses are bleeding. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about what happens when that is ending, right, we're, what we're calling yeah. perimenopause, like before menopause itself hits. Doctors say menopause is when you stop bleeding, for, you know, and they pretty much want to say it has to be for a whole year before they Correct. consider you to be truly in menopause. But what's happening right. with our hormones as we approach that time 
and while we are in that time. Can you speak to some of that to help our audience? Because I think that this is just, it's like some great mystery. Nobody knows. People just don't know. It's, it's almost like it's, we, we know less about it than we did as kids about getting our periods. Mm. This is true. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm so happy to speak to this. So in brief, what's happening with our hormones as we go through perimenopause and into menopause and even postmenopause, if we want to sum it up simply, it's a decline in estrogen. And to bring this over into Chinese medicine, as a Chinese medicine practitioner, acupuncturist, Chinese herbalist, the way that we conceive of estrogen is yin. And so if we think of yin and yang, yin is the oil in the lamp, and yang is the fire. And as mm. people with uteruses age, we become yin deficient. And as that estrogen declines, that yin declines, we start to notice those physical effects of yin deficiency in the body. We can get hot flashes, we can get night sweats, mood flexes, vaginal dryness, low libido, insomnia, hair loss, mental fog, fatigue, migraines, anxiety. These are some of the chief complaints that we notice with the decline of estrogen. So what I've noticed is that when my patients come to me when they're in perimenopause, usually once a week for about four to six weeks, it actually really sets the stage for them to coast through perimenopause and menopause with ease. And this is aided in large part by diet and lifestyle. But I want to segue for a second and open this up into a broader talk about the philosophy behind perimenopause, because I'll leave the, the talk of hormones a little bit more to the endocrinologists, but mostly when women go to their OBGYNs, they complain about these symptoms, they're going to be offered hormone replacement therapy. And sometimes this is the right course of action for some people. However, for some people, they don't want to do that, but they don't know what they can do other than that to mitigate their symptoms. So first of all, when we talk about this as a philosophy, which I love how Chinese medicine addresses this time in a person's life, is that basically after years of our energy going out to others, we finally have it for ourselves. And this time is sometimes referred to in the ancient texts as the second spring. So this is a time of personal rebirth, which I find exquisite. Because when we look at menopause as a new beginning, it really shifts our perspective because we tend to think of it as a time of death, a time of dread, rather than a time of a rebirth. And so for years, all of our energy is given to preparing for pregnancy. For 40-plus years, it's freed up as we go through perimenopause, as our eggs decline in number, as our estrogen declines. And so... The uterus, the energy in the uterus that was basically pouring out in the efforts to make a baby or shed because one didn't happen, but also if we look energetically for many of us, we feel that first part of life is just giving energy out, out, out to our children, to our jobs, to everybody else. And at this really exquisite stage in life, the chi, the mana, the prana, the life force, the energy, but mostly that yin energy which drives the blood flows upward to the heart and I love that 
because as that energy is flowing up to the heart, it's leading us into a deeper wisdom. As that energy comes back to ourselves, we finally get to give to ourselves the quality and essence of love and attention that we have been giving to others most of our lives. And for the first time in many womb-bearing folk, they actually start to, not just what you said, which I love, which is that they become uncompromising in their opinions. They're, not, they're no longer trying to please people. The ego isn't out front. But they really start to become exquisitely in love with themselves. They become the priority. We become the priority for the first time, maybe ever. And so this second yeah. thing is really about loving ourselves deeply, unapologetically, <laughs> and really becoming whole to ourselves. And I think that there's so much to celebrate in that. So I, I can talk a lot about the things we can do to mitigate those, you know, pesky symptoms, so to speak. But I wanted to address that first because there's a magic here that gets overlooked. And uh, there, I had there a patient. Is. There is. Go ahead. No, there is. I, I had a patient once, it cracked me up, and uh, she said, menopause, men on pause. <laughs> and I, we laughed because for many, you know, cis, hetero women who maybe have just been in relationships with men, they find they, they just, they, they want to back off from that a little bit. And it's because they're coming home to themselves and they're really no longer available or feeling that they're raising another child because their children are raised and or close to being yeah. raised. And if their men in their lives haven't stepped up and really started to become their own authority, a lot of womb-bearing folks, they're no longer available. Women, women in this cis-heteronormative example are no longer available for mommy taking of their spouses. So Regardless of the relationship that we find ourselves in or our gender expression or identity, I would still submit that this is a time that we're not going to just give away our energy to somebody who isn't taking care of themselves. We're done with that. We raised ours. We're done. So yes. this shifts things. <laughs> this can it really shifts things. shift things. And it's, it's interesting because how that gets translated, this being exquisitely in love with yourself, being incredibly protective of your own energy, right, and nurturing your own energy for the first time, right? As children, our energy is being nurtured by parents, hopefully. As mothers, or in that age range that we call, you know, the archetypal mother years, that energy mm -hmm. is going outward. And now the energy comes back and floods us with self-care. How yes. it gets translated in the overculture is that we become bitches, right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because when we tend to ourselves instead of tending outward, we're seen as being withholding, right? When we protect right. our own when we protect our own energy, we are perceived as being too overly boundaried or aggressive. Right. Stingy. Right. Or yes. 
Like, why aren't, you know, all the people that we used to give to are, like, sort of pounding their fists at the table going, why aren't you giving to me? And, and it's right. like, I, I, I gave to you, and now it's time to give to me. Now it's time for you, actually, to give right. to me. Right. Give um, to me or go away. <laughs> yes. And I love this piece, or at least don't deplete me, right? If you're going to deplete right. me, you have to leave. You have to go Bingo. away. Um, exactly. Exactly. And it's, so, it's a shame. And that's the gift that I feel like you are really giving a lot of younger folk in identifying with big crone energy, because if we could harness the wisdom of the crone in our younger years, perhaps we would be better at loving ourselves while we are giving to others. And perhaps we wouldn't have those shadow sides to our personas like I know I have of my, you know, worst people pleasing and codependency and all of that. You know, we might actually have people who have such a strong sense of self-love that in their giving, they're not cutting away pieces of themselves and becoming angry and bitter and resentful. Right. The resentment is a big thing. The underlying resentment when I work, people who identify as women who are raising families or just are really caught up in their careers, right? Mm -hmm. There is an underlying shadow resentment about having to, having to, right? Output, 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 output. And it's so immense that, you know, I've worked with people who, when I suggest, you know, well, you need to go for a walk or you need to drink more water or, you know, anything that you suggest during those years seems like such a massive ask for people because they are utterly tapped out overwhelmed, don't have a single second left in their day, and cannot justify taking the time that they need for themselves. So they suffer, but so does everything else that they think that they are being superheroes tending. Everything else suffers as well. One of the things I say all the time is you can't pour from an empty well. You can't pour from an empty well. If you're scooping the wet mud out of the bottom of the well to feed to your children for water, that's not going to give them what they need. You have to, we have to learn to take time, space, energy, care of ourselves first. Yeah. Because, you know, energetically and medically, What happens is if we keep pouring from an empty well into everyone else, we get sick. We do. And that when we We tend to exacerbate that natural progression of aging, right? And if we want to slow down the progression of aging so that we can live a long and healthy life, we have to pour back into the well. And I think it's important to talk about, well, how the heck do we do that? And what you named about not working as much, that, you know, capitalism doesn't help anybody with this, obviously, because we're entrained to believe that our value is inherent to our output, not our input into our own cup. And so as we start that discernment process with the power of the owl, as you named, between what's pouring into my cup and what's tipping my cup over, we start learning to pour into our own cup and to only allow those relationships, places, 
people, things in our life that are also pouring in, or like you said, at least not tipping it over and demanding more with no energy exchange. And so we are no longer meant to be working. And I would say we never were. Those 10 to 12 hour days, that's one place we can honestly start. I think in many parts of the world now, they're starting to adopt a four day work week. And that yeah. that would be revolutionary here in in America. You know, we, we there just were major riots in France because the retirement age went from 62 to 64. And here in America, when we went from the age, you know, 65 to 67, nothing happened. There weren't riots. And now I know for my generation, they're estimating age 70 with no benefits of Social Security being released to us, even though we've been paying in our whole lives. I mean, it's absurd. So yeah. how are we going to nourish and take care of ourselves? So avoiding overworking, which will decrease our stress, is a big one. Where and when you can, to the degree that you are able, start cutting back on your work hours. You're still going to be just as productive. That's what all the studies prove. And emotionally, we really want to mitigate the anxiety, fear, and anger. We can do that numerous ways, like you said, drinking water, going for a walk, taking time to meet up with a friend, doing some meditation, doing some yoga, those things will all, getting into therapy, if it's been a while since you invested in therapy for yourself, it's time. Go back, nourish yourself emotionally. And with our diet, there are a lot of things we can do that will decrease the yin, the things we want to avoid, that have gotten us through all that overpowering. So alcohol and coffee, um, those things tend to really deplete the yin. Um, and so what can we do to minimize the things that are, are depleting us? And that, that's a hard one. I always sort of duck under the desk when I have to tell patients to cut out the coffee and alcohol because for many people that's the merry-go-round that's getting them through. And so they can't conceive of what they're going to do without it. And we just start tapering those things and supplanting them with things that do nourish us. You know, again, taking time off, short breaks, enough rest, exercise, drinking a ton of water. And our diet, the things that will a ton of water, which, you know, six to eight, eight-ounce glasses a day is the gold standard. But if you're active, it's half your body weight in ounces. Most people are clinically dehydrated. Yeah, now, Karina, you were, you were a nurse for years. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's so six, repeat six, how much water we <laughs> actually need again because, yeah. because people think, you know, six to eight glasses of water a day, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I'll be in the bathroom all the time. And it's like, no, your body really does begin to adjust to drinking that amount of water, but it's not six it to eight. It's right. half your body weight, so whatever you weigh, divide that by two, and that is how many ounces of water you need to drink a day, which is way more than 64 ounces. We don't understand what dehydration feels like because we are dehydrated all the time. Dehi- you know, hydration opens up all of, I'm going to sort of try to blend the, the, the woo with the medical here and say being hydrated, fully hydrated, opens up all of your lower chakras, right? Mm-hmm. So that eases and lets our energy flow as well because we're not shut down from our neck down. Um, And I think Karina would testify, having been a nurse for many years, that most people who come into the hospital are clinically dehydrated. Clinically dehydrated. Yeah, and as we get older, mm -hmm. dehydration 
very quickly leads to urinary tract infections, which, yeah. can, which can present as dementia. It can mm-hmm. present as looking, you know, to someone who doesn't know, it can look like someone has had a stroke. I mean, you just went through this with your mom, right? I did. Um, I did. It was terrifying. Yeah, and it's a UTI. You know, when we're dehydrated, we're, we're really open to all kinds of infections, and illnesses that we wouldn't that we're not when we were drinking enough water. So I'll I'll get off the water right. horse now. <laughs> I think you and I could riff on water for a long time, but it's uh um and it's funny as you said that of course it just started to rain outside. So it's <laughs> it's an affirmation for sure on the topic. But uh, you know the other thing that's happening when we're in perimenopause and menopause uh, is that the vaginal walls are thinning and that that sometimes leads us to be more porously open to bacterial infection, thus leading to more UTIs. So back to the water, if the tissues are hydrated, they're going to be a little bit more plumped up and that barrier will be stronger. So that it really is one of the best things that we can be doing. And some dietary things we can be doing that nourish the yin are things like fruit smoothies. Uh, We can think of fruit salads, fish dishes with coconut milk, omelets, tofu, yams in particular. I had one patient who she said, you know, Asher, I took your advice and I just ate a lot of yams and all my hot flashes went away. I could sleep through the night, no more migraines. Um, Asparagus, alfalfa, seaweed, these things all nourish yin, kidney beans, black beans, lemon and lime. So food is out, Mm. clams, oysters. Those are all things that are going to nourish the yin. So food is always the best medicine. It's one of the first pillars of health. So if we really masticate and chew our food, we're going to and really settle the GI by masticating. We're going to absorb more of those nutrients. And we can start to just build our yin on a really deep level. And that's going to mitigate many, many complaints that people have that are associated with menopause. So just remember that a lot of this is in our hands. And, you know, it's yeah, you can go take HRT, you can pop a pill, but... Then there are long-term side effects of that, which I'm sure Karina as a nurse has seen and I've seen in my patients and with some of my loved ones, which if we take HRT too long, we really do predispose ourselves to certain types of cancers, um, pulmonary embolisms. Uh, it's a big deal. So if we can avoid taking it overly long, we want to. Um, and it's not, I never like to judge people's choices. Sometimes that is the right thing for some people. Uh, but, but even then, you know, from the Western end, they're going to affirm that you shouldn't be on it overly long. Okay, so. Yeah, I think it's important yeah. to say do what works for you. Yeah. Um, the crown herself is a, is a judgment-free zone. So if you yeah. want to do hormone replacement therapy, then by all means, you should do it, but do take seriously what the side effects and potential long-term effects of it are. We don't ever want to shame anyone for the choices that you're making about your body and how you're going to move through this transition. And Never. <laughs> menopause, menopause is a transition. So yes. there's a chemical transition. Um, there's, there's this transition of yin energy and there's a spiritual energetic transition as well. I think it is a long initiatory process. And it when is. we come out the other side, we're like, wait a minute, who for me it was who am I? Who am mm-hmm. I now? Right? Because right. 
during that long transition period, that long training, right, to be the crone herself, lots of small incremental and some dramatic changes happened in my life, in my spiritual practice, certainly in my energy and certainly in my hormones. And here we are. We're like, oh, all of these parts intersect and to create our one life. But coming out the other side of menopause and really sort of integrating who am I now My children are grown. Who am I now? I'm no longer a mother. What am I going to do with this last third of my life? It was a shock to me when I turned 50 and I realized, like, nobody in my family lives to be 100. I'm not middle-aged. I'm Mm. I'm two-thirds aged, right? Mm. And so what will I do with this last third of my life? How... Do I want to be of service? How do I want to impact the people that I love? How do I want to impact the world with the wisdom and teachings that I carry? Absolutely. Um, That's legacy work. Yes. Yeah, that's legacy work. We we can begin that work when we are premenopausal. But I think that by by the time we're postmenopausal, we have changed so much that the work necessarily has to change as well. I really like to speak about this process that we undergo that's chemical and energetic as an initiatory process. Absolutely. And 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 initiations are, they're not endings, they're beginnings. But the initiatory process itself is, is a space of danger mm-hmm. because we know we're not who we used to be when we don't know who we are yet. And so there's this liminal space where we're trying to discern, there's the owl again, who am I now and what is it I need now? And I think that this liminality, this not this, not that, betwixt and between space, that happens to us biologically is also what our culture calls the midlife crisis. Yes. Because an initiation always has a crisis, right? Mm It does, and and yes. (laughs) Right? How, How can we turn that into a stage of empowerment, right? Like the crisis part, there does have to be that friction for growth for sure. But look at how negatively we couch this stage in life, right? We focus on all those nasty symptoms and it's a crisis. And is it or is it an initiation? Is, you know, do we have to suffer that crisis? And again, if we're nourishing the crone herself the whole way along, then perhaps you know, that doesn't have to be a crisis. You know, even in some of the modern psychology practices that we see, which I think are gorgeous, like internal family systems, we'll hear different aspects of our makeup addressed, you know, our inner child, our inner teenager, for example. But how often do we consult with or think we even can consult with our inner elder, right? We already are that person. And yeah. To to make this, um, you know, a concept that we can digest for a moment, when we think about the oak seed, you know, it, the, the acorn, the oak seed, it already is the oak, 
Yes. It already is that. <laughs> so yes. we, we are all of it all at once, and we have access to the inner child and the elder. We don't, it doesn't matter that we are no longer our child. We talk openly now about accessing our inner child. Well, why can't we work it on the other end of the spectrum? I would argue that the crisis is important. Mm-hmm. As someone who is initiated and has initiated many others mm-hmm. and studied what this process is, right, which is why in the tradition I used to teach, I never initiated early. In fact, I would, I would wait until people <laughs> had been through the crisis of initiation right. and, and had integrated the energy of what yeah. they were undergoing. The crisis in Greek, the word is krios, uh, probably mm. murdering the word, right? Kyros, K-Y-R-O-S. And it does mean friction. It does mean mm-hmm. friction. It does mean, and friction is uncomfortable. The oak, yeah. the oak seed contains the whole tree, but it still has to undergo a crisis. It still has to, mm-hmm. um, the seed pod has to disintegrate and crack and that tiny little shoot that comes out of the seed has to make its way out of the earth and to the sun and that's hard work so one of the questions people often ask me about the crone herself and working with me is is it hard work (laughs) and you know if I'm in a particular mood, I may just do what I'm known to do, which is give them a, a, a question back. You know, it's as hard as you need it to be. It's as That's hard a great as you answer. Be. Because sometimes we need things to be hard in order to value them, right? Mm-hmm. And in our culture, especially, we are enamored with hard work. I'm working yeah. so hard on whatever it is that we're working on in the minute, learning to cook or um, being a mom or learning a new skill at our job or becoming a crone. It doesn't have to be. Right. It can be as simple as what the Buddhists would call, you know, a moment of enlightenment where, where suddenly everything is clear and we go, oh, it's that. It's that. That's mm-hmm. what I hope that my book of distillations does for people is sort of like, yeah. sort of blow up. It does, it does make mis- you go, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that it blows open their ideas of how hard it has to be in order to evolve spiritually, personally, intellectually. So I would argue that we can skirt around the crisis that we, or that we should avoid crisis. I think crisis is is that moment of friction, is that moment of like, I'm so tired of pushing, right? Like when you're giving right. birth, I'm so tired. I can't push again. You know, I remember just looking at my midwife and being like, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't. Right. And in that moment, she said, just go deep, go deep inside and gather your strength and make very low guttural sounds. Yep. And somehow we gather the strength to push through, and mo- and that's the initiation into motherhood, right? Like we think it, it we is. have it 
and, until that moment when you're like, I cannot. I can't do, do it anymore. This is so true as a, as a doula. I know when patients come in the room and they said, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to give birth this week. I say, absolutely not. They're like, why? I'm like, you're just not. When they walk back in and they, a week or two later and they say, I cannot do this anymore, then I know they're about yes. to pop. And so this, yes. that's exactly right. Like we, so we do need this friction we, that creates crisis and the degree and strength of that crisis will be whatever we need to, to cause the change, to rebirth ourselves. And so, right. yeah. Which it, is why it, that question, how hard do you need it to be? How hard right. do you need to work? And, and I want to offer how good can we stand it at the same time because this is something yeah. that I feel like we are depriving ourselves so much of our lives that when we are in this rebirthing process of the second spring of perimenopause and menopause, this is a time to ask yourself how good can you stand it? We, we, right? We haven't been allowing ourselves to have it good. No, it, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm just going to give an example that's sort of way out of left field for this conversation, but in the, the work cohort that I'm a part of, there's this process where you look at your expenses, not just for your business, but for your life. And the other day I, heard, I overheard a conversation where someone was saying, well, you know, I, I just don't want to write these things down that I want. And they were things like getting a massage, having a hot tub, things that you and I both are like, yes, please, that is on my yeah. list. That is a, that's a must do. But mm-hmm. how long did it take us to get to or what circumstances actually brought those things to our lives? There's a, I want this and I know why it would be good for me, but I can't put it on my list as an expense for my life. And it reminds me of the time you and I were talking about your business and you were doing all of your laundry for your massage therapy practice. (laughs) And and you were like, I'm so busy and I'm doing all this laundry. And I'm like, why are you doing your laundry? Well, Mm -hmm. because I can't afford to pay someone else to do it and I have to do it. And I was like, please at least find out how much it costs to have Mm -hmm. that job taken off of your list of things to do. And it was a stretch for you at the time, I think, financially, mm-hmm. but you did it. it. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's something here about not even being able to imagine having someone take a piece of your labor for your business and mm-hmm. do it for you um, and right. pay them for it, or not even to be able to imagine putting down, I need to have regular massages for my body so that I can be well that gets added to our budget. And I know that this sounds like it's coming from a place of tremendous privilege to even consider sort of having a massage on a regular basis or having a hot tub that's available to you. But there are smaller things like getting someone else to do your laundry or having someone come in your house once a month and clean for three hours. So it's not to do right, more of what we want to be doing, and we're gainfully employing somebody else, right? It's really a win-win. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about the massages that was so interesting to me is uh, the person in the room who was helping this other person said, you know, if you wait to get a massage until you're all tensed up like a rock, then you're hurting the massage therapist as well. 
because they have to work so hard, right, and, and injure mm-hmm. their bodies. And I thought, wow, to be able to frame that in a way of not only am I paying someone for the thing that they're trained to do and love to do, but how do I take better care of my caretakers, right? I mean, that's not such a, it's almost a novel months. concept, right? <laughs> it's why I'm repeating it. Is, and because as women and femmes, we are inclined to take care of others. So sometimes if we can frame it in these ways where it's like, oh, I'm taking care of my massage therapist because I'm paying them and I'm not waiting so long, Mm -hmm. then it gives us permission to take better care of ourselves in the process. Mm -hmm. Part of how I offer that feel to my patients when we talk about budgeting or, you know, I have a price increase maybe for my rates, which I used to be really bad about doing, And how am I going to be able to afford it? I have them do the math on a few things. So if they used to be smokers at a pack and a half a day, I have them do the math on what that would cost them right now. And if they gave up alcohol or going out drinking, okay, I want you to price out at the height of your drinking how much money you were spending and what that would cost if you were spending that now. And before long, people realize that if they take the vices that they so easily budgeted without question – they can equally budget those things that lend to their health and well-being. And so that's usually an eye-opener for people. So sometimes it's really looking at how we're budgeting and realizing that it's just a shit, it's really a mindset. It's not even about whether or not you have the money. It's a mindset issue more than it's a money issue. When I hired you to help me with the linens, that was such a mindset issue because I'd done the pricing. I knew how much I and I just couldn't get myself to do it. I was so stuck for so long, and that's such a great time to hire coaches, by the way. When you are stuck, go give yourself the gift of a coach. They're there to help you get. When you're in, like, Groundhog Day and you keep repeating the same year, the same issue, the same problem, that's a great time to hire a coach. And you're, it was simple coaching, but you got me through it, and I was able to give that to myself. And it made so much difference, and I didn't even notice the money. And I realized it was never about the money. So can we talk about this big secret about vaginal dryness? I mean, can we just like say those words out loud? (laughs) Because people, you know, people don't even know that that's a thing. And they're like, what? You know, I remember one of my elder sisters being like, Mm -hmm. my doctor says I have vaginal atrophy. What the fuck is that? (laughs) Right? And it's just terrible it's such awful language for what is actually happening as a result of the loss of estrogen. Um, And it's something that we know about hot flashes. We know about mood swings. We know about insomnia. We know about periods of anxiety. But I think that we need to talk about this really taboo symptom that a lot of women experience in their menopausal and more so in their postmenopausal years. Yes. And this can lead to, um, you know, a low libido or a lack of desire for sex, which is happening anyway on some levels. Uh, but because it's, it's exacerbated painful. Because, because sex doesn't feel good, right, when the vaginal yeah. tissues are, are thin. So for many people, this is a time where they must start using exterior lubricants, but we also want to go back to how do we lubricate internally back to water, but also back to, you know, herbal medicine. So 
I have a rule in the way that I was taught that I, I only treat what I see. So what I'm about to say is not medical advice. I don't know what prescriptions you're on. I don't know what allergies you have. I don't know what herb drug interactions could happen. So there's that caveat. That being said, there are some very well-known herbs that can combat vaginal dryness. And black kowash is one of them. In Chinese medicine, we have donggui. And most of us are familiar with flaxseed, right, which you have to grind to get the oils if you're going to use it in the food or smoothie, and you, they go rancid really, really quick. So you want to grind them fresh and eat them right away. Um, so those are some, some basic herbs that you should know about that you can take. Some you know, people will do evening primrose oil capsules to kind of get those lubricants going. We can think about oily fishes that we can eat. That can also help. So um, you're not alone if you're having vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy or vulvodynia. That, you know, it's just plain hurting uh, when you have sex. So there are ways to pump the tissue back up. And, you know, again, from the Western herb end of things, they sometimes will have suppositories that you can use with localized hormones. So whatever you feel is right and true and good for you and gets you there. Okay, so just know that there are options available to you. You don't have to suffer through that. There are remedies. Right, and then there are external um, lubricants. I'm sorry. Lubricants, absolutely. We have amazing lubricants out there now, amazing. Yeah, such a plethora to to choose from and find the ones that are good for you. And, uh, you know, if you're eating healthily and also practicing pelvic floor exercises is another biggie. So some of us, you know, we've heard of Kegels, but are we really practicing them? Um, Because if we're practicing our pelvic floor exercises, we can really – tonify the pelvic floor, and that lubricates the tissues by doing those exercises. So now it's amazing. We have pelvic floor physical therapists that are covered by insurance to help people tonify their pelvic floor. So, you know, we're finally seeing women's health take these strides to address issues that are specific to women, which you know, you and I could both riff on this for a long time, and I, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to segue for a hot second back to women's health at this very crucial stage in life. We can find ourselves becoming invisible at this stage in life. We can feel like we're no longer getting hooting and hollered at. Some of us are relishing in that. We think it's great. We, we no longer care about being hot or being sexy for everybody. That sort of cloak of invisibility can feel good to other women. It may feel horrible. But this can happen with our medical providers as well. So sometimes we say something very clearly and it just flat gets ignored by our doctor or minimized or we get shut down. So languaging that I use for my patients who are perimenopausal, menopausal, and postmenopausal is that if you ask for a test or procedure and you are denied, it is crucial that you say to your provider, I would like it noted in my chart that today at this time I requested blank test, drug, supplement, whatever, and was denied. Yes. And have, have them note that in your chart because when they, what you are telling them is, you, like, I got you. And if this blows up because we didn't have that test because I had a little bit of breakthrough bleeding after a year of having no blood and you denied the ultrasound or anything else, I want it noted in my chart. And usually that will give a practitioner pause to start taking you seriously. Oh, maybe we will order that test after all. 
So I hate that yeah. this happens to people, that they get ignored by their medical providers, but this is pervasive in our culture because of ageism, particularly against female presenting folks. And we have to speak up even though we've been taught as good girls not to question authority, not to speak back mm-hmm. to doctors, not to speak back to people who are in positions of authority. They don't have right. authority over our health, they, but they work for us. And we yeah. are there hiring them as a professional to treat us with the best possible care available. That is our right. right. So in those moments when you're, when you're feeling like, oh, I'm just going to back down, whether it's your doctor right. or somebody else in a position of quote-unquote authority, I think one of the things that's so beautiful about becoming a woman of a certain age is that we don't have to play by the good girl book anymore. We're not girls. We're not girls. Nobody's going to punish us. And if your doctor does punish you, fire them and find someone who will treat you well. Fire them, find someone who will treat them well. (laughs) Same with a therapist, same with a lawyer, same with a home inspector, a home contractor, anybody that you're paying money, if they're not treating you well, fire them. Find some, if they're not doing what they're hired to do, fire them. We don't have to submit our will and our wisdom about our own bodies to someone else's offhand misogyny and ageism. Right. We don't have to. You don't have to. And I I know for some of my patients that are in some older generations, they really do have like white coat syndrome. Not only are they nervous when they get in the room with doctors, but they haven't written down their questions they wanted to ask. And then their mind goes blank because they're nervous and because they're being rushed. Because most of us know we've got about 15 minutes. What's that? Yeah. And they're being gaslit. When you tell being a physician, yeah. doctor says, oh, I'm not really worried about that because that happens to women your age. Mm-hmm. What? Right? Right. What he's saying is you shouldn't worry about it either. And for some people, they hear that message and they go, oh, well, the doctor's not worried about it, so I'm, I don't have to worry about that either. But, you know, when you've gone for ultrasounds and CT scans over something, you kind of want to follow up on a regular basis, right? Yes. And and a lot of times doctors will say those words. For women your age, that's common, (laughs) right? doesn't make it right or good or acceptable. Exactly. Or preventable. And for some women my age, it's not normal. And for some women my age, that's a sign of cancer or something else that is necessary to keep looking at. So don't let your doctors gaslight you. Don't let them brush you off. Um, I love the idea, Ashura, of saying, please have that written in my chart that you denied the test that I asked for. I would say I want it noted. Yep. 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 And, and also, um, I wanted to say, I, I love those points, and it's so true. Um, what, and also, I want to talk about what I call the deep she, okay? When you have an internal intuition, an impulse that is telling you something about your body, please listen to it. Please listen to it. 
there's a reason you're having that fear, that concern, that knowing, that intuition. Listen to that voice. And I think for many of us, we've, we haven't entrained ourselves to that voice. We've learned how to override it, ignore it, go, oh, I'm just being a worry wart. Learn to listen to her, that deep inner knowing. And there's a strength that it's coming from that center of the uterus, a truth that comes when we study. I'm also a traditional tantra yoga teacher. And when we study traditional tantra, which, by the way, has very little to do with sex, it can be applied to sex, but it's really a Vedic system of life and philosophy. When we speak of our energy center, our power center, it is there inside the womb. And Mm -hmm. for, you know, people assigned male at birth, it's the hara. It's that belt, the center point of the belly. And from that deep mm. space in the womb, and, and this goes, this is not organ dependent, by the way, for those of you who've had hysterectomies, that energy center remains even if the organ is gone. This, this we know to be true about chi. Trust me, it's 5,000 years proven medicine, okay? This energy center remains even if the organ is gone. And if we tune into that place of our power, there is a wisdom that will emerge from the very center of our wombs that knows the truth of what is. And when we learn to listen to that, we will be less likely to betray ourselves or let other people betray our deepest knowing. This so is learn to listen. This is the, this is the voice of the crone herself. Mm-hmm. That is the voice of the crone herself, the wise one, the inner wisdom, the knowing, the sureness. Even if it's a small little voice, that is the voice that we have to listen to. And can you see how if we're working 10, 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week, if we're keeping ourselves busy playing superhero, we are not making time to listen to that. And wouldn't you think that powers of oppression don't want us listening to that? So how great to design a system where we are all too flummoxed and exhausted and fatigued to have any time to listen to the voice of our own inner authority. And so now we're dependent on outer authority. What a brilliant system <laughs> for disempowerment. Yes, and then, and then to demonize women of a certain age and call us right. words like the crone, a bag, right. a nag, a bitch, a, a witch, hag. You know, a hag, right. all, uh, all the old bitty, the nosy old lady, the blah, 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 all the ways that older women are demonized because we are listening. We're listening to our inner knowing, and we are listening to the world simultaneously. We are able to see truth. We are able to discern what is healthy for us and the world and what is not. And that's a direct threat to systems of oppression. (laughs) Absolutely. The wise woman is a threat. And so this is why these terms that once were terms of endearment in terms of respect, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, uh, who wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves and a Mazillion other amazing stories, says that the word crone comes from the word crown. Mm. Okay, and we're not talking about the crowns of kings and queens. We're talking about the crown that we all wear the crown that is right above our head. Uh, some people call it our God soul. Some people call it spirit ally or our guardian angel. But we all have this 
wise center in us. And mm-hmm. that crown connects directly down to the power center that you're talking about in the womb or the hara. Yes. Right? And that's the, uh, that's that the is bindu. A, a direct line. Right. Hmm? That's, that's the, I love that that direct line exists, you know, as above, so below. And that bindu is the center of the womb, which is the opening of the cervix. And if you look at the open-air temples of the Dakinis and the Tantrikas, you know, in India, there's the outer temple and then the inner temple, and they actually are designed in the shape of a yoni, um, which for those mm. of you who haven't heard that term, it's the sacred word that we would use for a vulva, whereas the vagina, by the way, <laughs> I believe the Latin derivation of that is the sheath for a sword. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really move me so much. Um, right. So it's, it's our sacred center. And the, those two that are connected, is, they're connected in, from a place of innocence. And it's not a place of ignorance. It's a place of innocence. And that is a pure, unadulterated form of power. And then we're back to the very beginning and that mm-hmm. this time of our lives is a second spring. And that mm-hmm. the first spring is when we were innocent children, right? And innocence in a child doesn't mean ignorant either. Children right. know. And oh, children yeah. will tell the truth that they see. Unfortunately, adults who think that they know better will, sometimes, will often silence the wisdom of children. But children will tell you the truth. Children yeah. will tell you, you know, your eyes are crooked or, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or they will say the things out loud that um, the, those, taboo those of, the taboo things that the good girl manual tells us we're not allowed to say. And old, mm-hmm. old people will tell you the truth and the wisdom yeah. that they know because we're listening. And so children and old people are dangerous in our culture, (laughs) right? This is why we don't want to give children, uh, this is why we don't want to teach children about racism. This is why we don't want to um, let children read whatever they can get their hands on. This is what this clamp that's coming down upon us right now from the dying patriarchy, right? They are in their last death rows. I've been saying it for years. It's taking a lot longer than I hoped. <laughs> but I think, I think that it is in its death throes, um, mm-hmm. and it is grasping and gasping for life and just to remain in power and to remain in control. All of these measures that are coming out here in the United States are about control of women's bodies and children's minds. Yes, absolutely. And the, and and the, and the, bodies, of, the bodies of people who don't identify as cis, hetero, male. We are a threat to that dying system that is fighting desperately for its life to remain the system of control and power over others. Right. It's like I, I'm thinking of the, the concrete, you know, when we see the greenery pushing through the concrete. The concrete is stable. It's been there forever. It's made of a really hard substance. But the softest thing in the world, this little seedling of greenery, is stronger than the cement. That force of life is more powerful 
than these systems of oppression. And I think we have to remember that when we get downhearted, thinking really the last throes of the patriarchy, it feels like we're in the heart of it, right? We're all about to be oppressed more than we've ever known. It can feel that way only because it is the last, as you said, the last death throes. But life wins. We know this. We know this. And womb-bearing folks who are the progenitors of life, there's no greater threat to those systems of destruction than the systems of creation. And so the best we can do is keep aligning ourselves with those systems of creation and believing in them and knowing that they are stronger and that love truly is stronger than these systems of death. The two are intertwined, but life goes on. And we are finding new ways of living. We can't go back to the way things were. And I often hear you say that, Karina, and it's so true. And this goes for the way that we view menopause, perimenopause, and our our health and our identities as womb-bearing folks and as women. We aren't going back to some old prescriptive idea of what those identities are or those expressions are. We really are writing a new language, a new world, and some even refer to it as the new earth. And it's happening. You know, we're either awake and aware to that or we're not. And the first step really have to do with be gentler with yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the first step. We cannot change the world into some vision of what we dream of. We can't do that if at the seed of our being we believe that we have no value or that we are broken or that there is something defective or deficient about us. We are all unique individuals. We are not the same. There is no norm anymore. This is why the patriarchy right. is pitching fits. Right, because, because we're not fitting into the cookie cutter. <laughs> measure us against the norms that have been in place for thousands of years. If we begin to look within and we access that core of wisdom within us, everyone has it. Everyone has it. Yeah. You're not broken. You're not deficient. We cannot measure ourselves against these outdated norms. We are in the process right now of evolving. This is the first time, perhaps, perhaps, in human history that we have been conscious of our own evolution, personally and collectively. And so our goal here, if we're going to evolve, we can't just love the world out there or the people out there. We have to love, honor, respect, defend, nourish, luxuriate, bless our own lives. That can be, for women of a certain age, a natural state that we arrive at. Or it can require that we do some internal work with a priestess, a coach, a therapist, a healthcare provider. We have, we have to set up our teams of people who are going to help us through the crisis, kiros, of menopause as we transition from motherhood to cronehood. You know, in my communities, 
we celebrate our young girls when they have their first period. We do a, a, a ritual for them to welcome them. And, and it's true that they still have to go through their own process, but they know that there is a community of people who is watching out for them. And I think we need the same thing as we age, as we transition. We should not be doing this alone. Vaginal dryness should not be a surprise, (laughs) right? No. It should be something that we all know about and we're prepared to deal with should it happen to us or we're prepared, prepared to prevent by eating the right diet and doing the pelvic floor exercises and managing our energy. This is the community that the movement that Big Crone Energy hopes to be. I mean, we're very small. We're very small right now, right? Um, But it is a big umbrella. I like to call it the big magenta tent. And Ashura, you know why I'm calling it that. It's a big enough tent for everyone who is transitioning, not only from one phase of our life to another, but to prepare us for that phase and to remind us that we have access to that energy of that wise, old, discerning one within us. And to recognize that we are simultaneously, collectively on the planet undergoing an initiation. And to address that up front in a really practical way, uh, calling out the politics of it, but also in an individual way and working with the spirit of that initiation, of that process that we are all undergoing. We could talk and talk and talk forever. Um, We have been known to do so, you and I. Um, And I would love to have you back on Big Crone Energy Podcast sometime in the future. This is amazing. I'm sure my audience has got so much value out of listening to your expertise And I love how you weave the physical health of this time into um, how you weave the physical processes alongside and intertwined with the energetics of it and the the spiritual aspects of it. Um, It's been wonderful to have you on, and I can't wait to do it again. Thank you. Thank you so thank thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor, and um, and blessings on your work and on this incredible mission of the Crone herself. Thank you. You've been listening to Big Crone Energy with Karina Blackheart, the Crone herself. <laughs>